Hey there, homies. This is Sarah. And this is Ashley. And this is Hometown Homicide. How's everyone doing? It's almost, well, this will come out May 2nd. Yeah. Where has the time gone? It's gonna be May. Nah. Yes. Prime time for that that meme. Yeah. I almost quit my job this week. That was fun. Still thinking about it, but I have to be able to pay my bills and feed my cats and myself. Yes. Important. I'm just going to do the redraw for the giveaway. Oh, yes. We're going to do the redraw. I put all the names back in since I lost it. I was going to go live to do this, but, like, literally there's no reason to do a 30-second live. Because yeah. I am not face-ready for a live. Same. <laughs> so I am going to spin the wheel. It's spinning, and I don't know why there's no clicky, clicky, clicky. <laughs> but we have a winner of Gary Jorge. Oh. I'm guessing. Sure. Or it's Gary George, but... G-O- J-O-R-G-E. Yeah, probably Jorge. So congrats, Gary. Gary. We will post it on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And probably Obviously. Be able to tag him on YouTube, maybe? Mention him? I don't know. Yeah, we should be able to tag him in the description. So get a hold of us. Reach out to us so we know where to send your prize. And if we don't hear from you, then you don't get anything. (laughs) And how to spot a killer if anyone has heard from her. We just want to make sure she's okay. Because we've heard nothing. No response. I've reached out multiple platforms like, hey, you're a winner. Hey, by the way, are you okay? Like, I don't know. So, yeah, Gary, congrats. Yay. I can insert a round of applause. (laughs) Okay, well, we can get right to it. This is an interesting one. That's so funny that you just said that, because I was just going to say, you know what, Sarah, yours are so interesting. Like, I'm always (laughs) excited to hear what you have to bring to us, and then you just took the words out of my mouth. Took them right out. We are synced. Snatched them. Snatched my words. I, I, I don't know. It has to intrigue me in some way, and this one, <laughs> um, yes, uh, my Google magic brought me to one part of this story, but upon digging, I discovered so many more parts that I never expected. This tale has kidnapping, murder, chaos, arson, bones, and mystery. Mm. And it's not a Disney movie. It's <laughs> not a Disney rewrite, I promise. So, uh, let's begin. Do it. On May 20th, 1972, in Des Moines, Iowa, Rosalind and Dennis Barden welcomed a baby into the world. A healthy little girl with brown hair and brown eyes that they named Jennifer Rebecca. I'm not certain what sent Jennifer and her family south to good old Missouri. What's up? As almost all of my research was 
combing through different newspaper articles that were scanned and uploaded onto mm. newspapers.com. But I do know that the family was living in Gallatin, Missouri. I've seen it on signs along Interstate 35 countless times. Gallatin is a little town of around 1,800 residents that lies less than an hour south of the Iowa-Missouri border and just over an hour north of Kansas City, Missouri. Jennifer spent kindergarten and first grade in Chula, Missouri, and then attended second grade in Bethany, Missouri, which I often stop at during my travels to get my sonic fix. For her third grade year, she attended Gallatin 5R School District School, but never got to finish out the year. Jennifer was described as shy and well-mannered by teachers and school officials, and that she had started to grow and become more outgoing. Unfortunately, we would never see the young adult and eventual woman Jennifer would have become. On the morning of Saturday, May 1st, 1982, which I didn't even mean to plan that out because this is coming out on May 2nd. I just was like, oh, snap, look at that. Coincidence. Um, it, was, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Um, Saturday, May 1st, 1982, Jennifer was playing in her front yard as kids did once upon a time instead of Mm. on iPads and whatnot and went to the street where a Frisbee had gotten away from her. There, in a stolen dark green pickup truck was a man named Billy Wilson and he seized an opportunity. Maybe with a question, maybe with candy, or maybe just by sheer surprise Billy snatched little Jennifer with an eyeshot of her home and took off with her. Jennifer was never seen alive again. Oh, no. And she was so cute, too. Of course, I can only find black and white pictures because they're scanned from the newspaper. She was super cute. Oh. Billy was a nasty character. At the age of 17 in 1972, he decided to quit school during his sophomore year and lived down in Mississippi at the time. Despite not acquiring a diploma, he managed to do a couple years service in the Army. I thought you needed a diploma. Or like a GED to go into the service, but maybe back then you didn't, or records weren't as forthcoming. Up-kept. Yeah, I don't know. But he did serve in the army. A former teacher described him as an average student and well-mannered, but Gary Jones, a sheriff that had served as a police officer where and when Billy had grown up, described him differently. Sheriff Jones said that there had been signs indicating that trouble undoubtedly lay ahead for Billy Wilson. As people do, especially in smaller communities, Sheriff Jones said he had heard from multiple residents in the area that Billy liked to touch little girls. Disgusting. Sadly, at the time, people tended to be more embarrassed than they, obviously you shouldn't be embarrassed, but they were embarrassed about things like that. So no, so no official reports were ever made. Some people today still are embarrassed. Yeah. And that's what's sad. After Billy was discharged from the Army in the mid-1970s, he returned to Mississippi for a bit, but then traveled up to Polo, Missouri, to live with his older brother, Richard. He worked a variety of odd jobs throughout towns in northern Missouri, including hauling hay, which is no joke, dude. I tried to haul a couple square bales one time with my dad, and I was, no. (laughs) No. Uh, Shipping meat and construction. Richard said that Billy was a good worker, but it was also obvious something wasn't quite right with him. Billy had once stolen Richard's checkbook and wrote almost $1,000 in bad checks. Mm -mm. And after that, there seemed to be a steady decline in Billy's behavior and attitude. 
Billy and Richard had a bit of a falling out after the checkbook fiasco. No shit. Right? So Billy bounced around, sometimes back in Mississippi, sometimes back up in Missouri, and places in between. On August 1st, 1980, Billy was once again south. He was driving a work truck, and while passing through the little village of Angie, Louisiana, he spotted a pretty little eight-year-old girl riding her bike. He called her over to the truck and somehow got her inside the cab. Trigger warning. Billy then took her to some nearby woods and raped her. On April 28, 1981, Billy was convicted of aggravated rape by a Washington Parish jury in Louisiana, sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. How was Billy able to abduct little Jennifer, you may ask? That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to ask. Exactly. Exactly. You keep I snatching know, my words. Well, this asshole escaped. Uh, Actually, he escaped twice. Of course he did. The first time was the very next day after his conviction. Billy Wilson sawed through the bars of the Bogalusa jail. How is that not noticed? This was an old city jail. Apparently, the jail for the Washington Parish that he was tried and convicted in was actually condemned. So, with overcrowding issues, the county and state had to basically duke it out to see who housed whom until a new jail was built. Which, according to newspapers, took not one... Not two, but three attempts at a bond for voters to finally pass to pay for a new jail. You would think you'd want to have a place to house your criminals, but I digress. I assume Billy was apprehended immediately upon his first escape, as there was no mention of a chase or searching or anything like that. It just immediately mentioned that on April 18th, 1982... A 27-year-old Billy Wilson once again escaped from Bogalusa Jail. While waiting for transfer to Louisiana State Penitentiary, he and another inmate fled custody. This other inmate was Roy James Hill. He was 36 years old at the time and a convicted burglar. Together, they traveled up to northern Missouri, where Billy was so familiar, and along the way, the two carried out a string of crimes trying to get by and elude police. Though they escaped and fled together, Billy and Roy weren't buddies, but most likely just two men that took a chance together. Roy later said he was afraid of Billy. He also stated that he was holed up in their Hamilton, Missouri hotel room when Billy drove the 13 miles to Gallatin and abducted Jennifer Barden. He further claimed that Billy never discussed the events and actions that took place with Jennifer after her kidnapping. A final note on Roy here. He was arrested in Texas on May 4th, just a couple days after Jennifer's abduction. It seems that Roy and Billy were involved in a high-speed chase in yet another stolen vehicle, after which Billy got away. I found no indication of Roy's involvement in Jennifer's case. After her abduction, people came out in droves to help in the search for little Jennifer across Davies and Caldwell counties in northwestern Missouri, obviously hoping to find the girl alive and well and wanting nothing but to return her to her family. A little girl's blouse was found under a bridge on Monday, May 3rd, which cranked up the search efforts even more. The next day, two busloads of school children even joined in the search. This was mentioned in a news article, but I find it questionable, because what if they had found Jennifer in a not-so-great situation? 
Yeah, that would traumatize them for the rest of their life. I mean, it would traumatize a anybody, an adult, but children. And Morbid has mentioned this a couple times about like Boy Scouts helping try to search for stuff. Like, who authorized this? Who thinks that that's okay? I mean, it's great that they want to help, but like, nah, go have a supper. Like, it's fine. Let the adults do it. Yes. Anyway, search efforts turned up nothing further in the immediate time following her kidnapping. Sunday, June 12th, 1982, so about six weeks after her disappearance, there was a memorial service held for Jennifer Barden. A large color photograph of a smiling Jennifer was front and center, surrounded by multiple floral arrangements. Not all in attendance were convinced that she was deceased, but wanted to show their care and support for her and her family. Her mother, Rosalind, held no hope that her daughter was alive. In a newspaper article that was published the day after the service, Rosalind was quoted as saying, They say, what if she's still alive? I never believed that. I wish to God it was true. Back to Billy. So after the high-speed chase in Texas, where he managed to once again skirt police custody, he made his final mistake. Near midnight on the night of May 4th, 1982, Billy showed up on a doorstep in Mira, Louisiana, spouting a story of car trouble. The home belonged to Kay Clayton, age 23, her husband, and their two daughters. Kay's husband was at work, must work, second shift, whatever, or third shift, excuse me. And Kay was a smart woman who didn't let this stranger at her door in the home. Billy left, but came back hours later. Sources said that when he returned, Billy removed a window pane and climbed inside the home. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that means he broke a window, if he opened a window, or removed a screen from an already open window. Mm-hmm. But regardless, he broke into this poor young family's home. But Kay was on it. She must have heard him entering as she got up and retrieved the couple's 357 Magnum and confronted Billy. He then made a threatening sound and advanced towards her, causing Kay to close her eyes and shoot. Got him directly in the mouth, killing Billy Wilson instantly. Kay Clayton grabbed her two daughters and reportedly ran screaming to the neighbor's house. Clearly an act of self-defense, Kay ended Billy's 27-year-old life, which by all means sounds like a blessing. He was escalating. God knows what other atrocities he would have committed if he wasn't stopped. It is unfortunate, however, that no real answers were gotten about Jennifer. Her stepfather, Ronald Nelson, was quoted as saying, I didn't want this man dead until after we found our daughter. He also said that the, quote, tragedy is nobody will get to ask him where she is. The mayor of Gallatin had a slightly different view about Billy's death. Mayor Tom Gallagher said after hearing the news, quote, I'm thrilled in the sense that he got what was coming to him. He did. Mm -hmm. And how did they know that he took her? Because of the description of the vehicle, they knew that it was stolen and where they were. There, like, how did they know before he died that he was the one? I It didn't really say that people saw him specifically, but they knew he was in the area, that he liked little girls. There, there probably was something about they the connected the dots or whatnot. Yes. The, yeah. I said 
not dots. What I did don't, you say? Docs. I don't. Oh. Better than. I've heard dots. So. I don't know. You probably think that wraps up this episode's story. But didn't I promise you arson at the beginning? Oh, yes, you did. To quote Morbid, hold on to your butts. <laughs> Rosalind Ann Ortwig grew up in a two story farmhouse about four miles from Chula, Missouri, which was where. She ended back up, basically, because Jennifer had attended some school there. She was a tomboy and the oldest of six children who often cared for her younger siblings. Her life of varied love started at the age of 17, took her through five marriages, and brought her four children. Rosalind married Roger Whitney and had two children, Kathy and Mike. When she divorced Roger, Rosalind moved with her two children to Des Moines, Iowa, in search of work. While in Des Moines, she met and married Dennis Barden. Together, they had two additional children, Jennifer and Gilbert. A few years went by, and then this marriage also dissolved. At a new place of work for Rosalind, she met not just one, but two future husbands. Neither marriage lasted long, and neither man has any real relevance in this story. Her fifth, and I hope final husband, though, was Ronald Nelson. This is the man Rosalind was married to at the time of Jennifer's abduction on May 1st, 1982. Just a few months later, on August 6th, 1982, Rosalind set fire to her home, killing her husband, Ronald. What? Experts at her murder and arson trial stated that the fire was intentionally set in the second level of Rosalind and Ronald's home in Gallatin, the same one that Jennifer was kidnapped just in front of. An accelerant had been used, which, according to testimony, smelled like gasoline, and a bed sheet was twisted to fashion a wick as to draw the fire from the hallway where it started to the bedroom where Ronald was sleeping peacefully. The accelerant made the fire burn very hot, so hot as it was like, quote, an oven in the upstairs hallway, and also made the fire spread rapidly, preventing first responders from continuing inside the home. Ronald was found halfway out the bedroom window, dead from burns and smoke inhalation. It was also mentioned in trial that another smaller fire had occurred in the home just days prior, and some referenced it as a, quote, trial run. That fire didn't require the fire department, though, and not much else was mentioned of it. And I take it she took the kids out before she did this, because... Oh, are you? I'm getting there. okay. This this time you took the words out to my mouth. <laughs> I snatched them. Rosalind's defense attorney tried to claim that Rosalind wasn't in the home when the fire started, but either in the very nearby town square, like like a block away, or on the front porch of the home, depending on the source, because I read both. The defense attorney also stated during trial, she knows how to get rid of husbands. She doesn't have to kill him. Which is entirely true, because, you know, five husbands, but it was still like, damn, bro, you making jokes? Like, <laughs> I mean, that burn. Oh, no Ooh, pun intended. No pun intended. I would, it wouldn't even have registered to me, probably. While that's true, it's awfully coincidental that she sent her three remaining children to other homes to spend the night the same evening the fire occurred. Hmm. I mean, yeah. at least she thought of the kids. I mean, Yes. There were witnesses that claimed the couple had fought at a local bar earlier that evening, though I'm not sure what the fight was about. 
Rosalind's defense attorney also claimed that this was not true, and he also tried to say that Ronald was drunk and must have accidentally set the fire himself. Hmm. But the pathologist that performed the autopsy testified in court that Ronald Nelson's blood alcohol level was 0.07% at the time of his death and was not enough to result in, quote, full-scale drunken behavior. However, enough evidence was presented for conviction, and Rosalind Nelson was convicted on Friday, December 9th, 1982. Not of murder or arson, but of manslaughter. Mm. Lower count. Yeah. She was sentenced to three years in prison. That's it? That's it. Sadly, her father, Gilbert, whom her son is named after, died on December 12th, just three days after her conviction of a heart attack. He had a history of heart problems, and that's just another blow to an already suffering family. Those that had known Ronald Nelson basically described him as a gentle giant. Standing six foot three inches tall and weighing 240 pounds, he was said to be a kind and quiet man. He often went by Ronnie, or sometimes even Ronzo, and he loved life and cars. One longtime friend said that they'd never seen Ronnie act violently in over 20 years of knowing him, and another said, quote, you never heard anything bad about him. And yet another friend said in a newspaper interview, he was a big bear of a guy who everybody liked. And he also added, friends of Ronzo will never forget this. So why'd she kill him? Never said. She maintained her innocence. Hmm. She supposedly was outside and noticed the fire and called it in at like 1.16 a.m. Because he was sleeping and he's... Okay. And there was gasoline all over the hallway. And they never found Jennifer's body? I'm not done with the story. Oh. And that was not a reference to the movie Jennifer's Body. Oh. Yeah. No kidding. This story is still not over. Okay. I also mentioned bones at the start of this tale. You did. I did. As if this tangled mess of what the fuck wasn't already crazy enough, I bring up the small town of Lawson, Missouri. Registering at a little over 2,500 residents in the 2020 census, Lawson sits 44 miles south and slightly west of Gallatin. On May 3rd or 4th, depending on the source, 1984, someone was out hunting mushrooms, but found more than they intended. So almost two years after. Almost to the day. Yeah. A child's skull was found on a farm outside of Lawson. Then on June 13th, 1984, about a half mile from where the skull was found, five bones, bone fragments, and the sole of a tennis shoe were also found. The bones found included a femur, two arm bones that weren't specified, a partial vertebra, and a partial rib bone. The tennis shoe sole was later determined to be size five and a half, which I imagine is probably the size an almost 10-year-old girl would wear. An assistant professor of forensic anthropology and director of the Human Skeletal Identification Laboratory at the University of Missouri-Columbia, Dr. Samuel Stout, was sent the skull to examine. Dr. Stout did say it appeared to be the skull of an 8- to 10-year-old girl, and she had been deceased for two years. He compared the skull to Jennifer Barden's dental x-rays and said he could not conclusively determine if it was indeed the skull of missing Jennifer Barden, but noted similarities. 
Dr. Stout did conclude, though, that the femur also belonged to a child of the same approximate age as the skull, and the length of the femur indicated that the child was between 4 foot 2 inches and 4 foot 4 inches tall at the time of death. A quote from Dr. Stout regarding the case, I think the probability that it was not the girl is a million to one. The skull was then sent to Dr. Michael Charney, a specialist of anthropology at Colorado State University, for further examination and facial reconstruction. Dr. Charney said that upon his comparisons, the skull and Jennifer's x-rays did match, though he would continue with the reconstruction to have the parents identify and also for research purposes. With that, authorities said they'd be closing Jennifer Barden's case. Not many answers found, but an ending nonetheless. Jennifer's father, however, protested the closure. Dennis Barden wanted the case to remain open until they could figure out how she died. Unfortunately, the authorities said they'd have no way of knowing her cause of death. He also believed that Roy James Hill, who had escaped with Billy, did know what happened, despite Roy insisting that Billy committed whatever acts of treachery on his own. One newspaper mentioned that Mrs. Rosalind Nelson, quote, could not be reached for comment. Yeah, because she's in prison for killing her husband. So like, If she got three years, she would be out by then. Not this time. Oh. Two, sh- she was convicted in December of the same year Jennifer went missing, and she got three years. She was, the article said she was still in still prison. Still in prison. Which I tried to find anything about her now. I couldn't. Maybe she changed her name. I don't know. I probably would. <laughs> that was the tragic, chaotic, sad, wild story of Jennifer Barden, her family, and her despicable killer. Though, along with a couple outlandish theories mentioned in one article, including Jennifer being sold into human trafficking, and even a claim of her wandering an island in Hawaii, there is at least one other theory I've heard. Let me preface this by saying I have zero proof. Not for the lack of trying to find information to try to validate it, but, you know, we're still new to all this and don't have all the ways of tracking down information and whatnot figured out. So this is purely speculation. It is not an accusation in any way, shape, or form. I just find it oddly interesting that the owner of the farm that Jennifer's skull was found on also owned a land up in Gallatin at the time. So he would have been around both areas in the same time frame. Quite the coincidence. And some have said coincidence is just circumstantial evidence, but I don't know. Hmm. That is very interesting. Yeah. You always like to bring those type of cases, and I love it. I'm here for it. I I had been turned on to the child abduction and skull... I mean, I don't love what happened to no. these people. Let me yes. make that very clear. Yes. No. Just like we we enjoy this, but not in like a, that, you know, it's just, it's interesting to us. So, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I had been turned on to Jennifer's case, not even by her name. I was told that there had been a case back in the 80s. I don't even know if they told me 80s, but that little girl went missing from Gallatin and couple years later skull was found by you know around the town of Lawson and that two ex or I thought it was ex-cons but obviously escaped convicts um, were blamed for it but some people in the area presented the 
other information about the farm owner and the land and stuff. So when I went and tried to Google magic, just try to find something to, to do, I typed in like 1982 Missouri murder and it brought up the fire and that. And then one article was like, yeah, and earlier that year her daughter went missing. I'm like, wait, what? And then I'm like, oh my God, is that the case? So then I'm like going through all the newspaper mm-hmm. articles. I'm like, it is the case. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like this is way more than you expected way more than i expected but i mean interesting obviously not in a so the landowner was never questioned like oh you also have a property like where were you that i couldn't tell you because they just i think from what it sounds like from what you presented Mm -hmm. they from the beginning thought it was this billy dude yeah right on it from the get Without ever, like, I mean, obviously what happened to him, he deserved, but they don't know if it was actually him, unless the truck, did anyone see the truck that she was taken in? I couldn't find that. Yeah, and Roy said, I mean, Roy, it sounded like Roy said that Billy did it, but that he didn't, he never saw Jennifer, he never talked about what happened. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Little roller coaster. It was. And I, yeah, when I said fifth and I hope final husband is going, I don't know, I'm sure she's out of prison. Like, I didn't find it, like, her, like, a deceased anything, so maybe she should just be single. Yeah. Might be better. I see nothing wrong with it. Oh, I know. Worked well for me. Get cats. It's fine. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing, Sarah. And I am excited for my next case. Yeah, should be a good one should be mm-hmm. um, and if you want to listen to our bonus episode head over to patreon yes we're about to record that for you know april and get it out so tune in join us over on patreon and again congrats george gary george gary? or gary jorge yeah or george not um, sure which we apologize we'll tag you on the youtube video yes. Yes. on monday Follow us, like us, love us, rate us. Hometown Homicide dot derp. Hometown Homicide Podcast on about any social media except Ope Murder on Twitter. And we want to tell stories to you, not about you, so stay safe. And this was Hometown Homicide. <laughs> <laughs>